Good morning. Uh, my wife and I have been blessed with uh, children, and uh, part of uh, the joy of having children is them uh, learning new things. Let's see if we can get the first picture on. Uh, one of the things we, we did teach our kids is how to uh, roller, roller blade or roller skate. I think it started with skating and ended up with blading. But uh, when you have a child, a precious child, you love your child, uh, you want them to be safe, right? And so you make sure that they're wearing uh, their helmets, knee pads, elbow pads, maybe gloves. Uh, I've heard of cases where there's a bottom pad. Um, so yeah, we, we love our children, and we want to protect our children and make sure they have as good of an experience as they can, uh, learning new things, doing new things. And uh, that is the case also uh, with, with you as God's children. God loves you, and uh, God wants you to be safe and, uh, and protected. So today we will look at, uh, at that protection that God provides for us. Uh, so, uh, as we go through the passage, uh, you can start thinking about it as we read through it, and, and more so, hopefully, as uh, I, I go through it, uh, verse by verse. Uh, what is the danger? What is the danger we face as believers uh, today, or potentially unbelievers, too, uh, also in danger? Uh, what uh, is the safety gear that God provides? What is the safety gear that God provides for us from this danger, to be protected from it? Uh, why should we trust it? Right? Why should we trust the safety gear that God provides or that, they, that uh, Peter speaks about? And um, how do we use it? How do we use it? What's the correct application of the safety gear for maximum protection? Okay, so hopefully we'll answer these questions as we go uh, through the passage. Uh, with that, uh, turn, if you haven't already, to Second Peter. We are in Second Peter, and uh, we'll finish chapter 1, Lord willing, uh, today, starting in verse 12. So Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, to steer you up by way, uh, by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my Decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is a test. Uh, We spoke about it last week. Uh, What is the danger that led Peter to write this epistle. And I suggested, you know, that danger was found in the first first of the second chapter of Second Peter. So you can cheat and, and look ahead at that first. What is the danger? False teachers. False teachers, that's right. Those false teachers, uh, we suggested these uh, could be called antinomians meaning against the law. They uh, taught that uh, a person doesn't need to worry about pleasing God with the way they lived, right? Uh, Perhaps they went overboard with the grace principle. The Bible does talk about the fact we're saved by grace. It's an undeserved gift, Uh, not by the law. We can't keep the law to be saved, but God is still concerned with how we live our lives. We can live our lives in a way that pleases God, and that maximizes our enjoyment of the Christian life and the rewards that we will experience uh, for all of eternity. So it is important uh, to live in a way that that pleases God, if you would, following the law, in in as much as the law lays down uh, moral principles that show what it is that God's pleased with. Uh, So that was not... So this teacher, antinomian, was speaking against the law, against the idea of any moral principle the believer needs to hold to. And that will become more clear as we go through chapter 2 of of, uh, 2 Peter. But that is indeed the danger. Um, What what happens, uh, we can look at the next picture, what's the danger associated uh, with with skating or or other activities? it could be, uh, lead to injury, right? Uh, if you're going to, to rollerblade, skate, without wearing uh, a knee brace in this case. Now, I, I personally think that's not a true injury. I think this is just like a, a picture to help us understand the dangers of it. So don't feel bad for the little girl. Uh, but yeah, we could, if we don't wear the proper protection equipment uh, when we uh, get engaged in potentially dangerous activity, uh, we could, we could get injured. Uh, yesterday, we went down to Davis, or up to Davis, to celebrate the Lianas and Joy's birthdays, and they went rock climbing, and they had gear on. They had a, they had a, a belt on. Uh, they had a rope. They had somebody holding it. Uh, in that case, not wearing your protective equipment could result in severe injury, uh, potentially leading to crippling damage, maybe even death. Right? So not wearing the proper protection, not recognizing the danger that gravity or momentum uh, or uh, friction represent, uh, you, could, you could be seriously hurt. What about the danger of false teaching? What can false teaching cause? Uh, 
A good example of the danger of false teaching is found in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, familiar passage. Uh, now the serpent, we know the serpent uh, here is being used by the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So God did put Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden, and he did give them uh, a beautiful uh, fruit trees with uh, uh, delicious fruit to eat. But there was one tree that God told them not to eat, and he warned them that if they ate of it, they would die. Well, now Satan was questioning that teaching. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, so that was an example of false teaching, right? Satan was uh, misrepresenting God, questioning God, and then deliberately contradicting God's teaching. And what was the result? Adam and Eve and their descendants to this day are separated from God. Right? So drastic, terrible possible results of false teaching. No, no limit to that danger. Did that only happen in the past or does it happen today as well? Second Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So Satan is active today in spreading false teaching. It wasn't just in the past. Um, for believers, uh, this is not a risk, will not cause us to fall again. Uh, when we're saved, we're saved forever. But as we talked about last week, we could miss the blessing that God intends for us as believers at this time and, and miss on rewards in the future life as a result of false teaching. Um, false teaching could keep people from getting saved. Right? We see that in uh, Galatians, even in 2 Corinthians, other places. So uh, Satan is still active. False teaching is still a reality. And uh, so we need to be aware of it. What is the safety gear? What safety gear do we have from the danger of false teaching? We see that uh, in, in uh, the first verses of our passage, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. And what uh, Peter is talking about is, uh, is the word of God, right? He, he, he brings the word of God to bear on the false teaching. Um, I had a picture here, I kind of skipped it, but uh, I uh, used to work at a company that provided uh, chemical cleaning for parts used in the high-tech industry, and the cleaning often involved dangerous substances like uh, acids and uh, caustic solutions, and uh, so we had to, to wear uh, eye protection, um, gloves, 
uh, actually different level of gloves. Uh, I was once uh, burned with an acid because I was wearing uh, a glove that just covered my hand, but it didn't go all the way up to my elbow, and I was dipping a part into a, a solution with hydrofluoric acid. And uh, as I dipped the part, I, I think there was like an air bubble or something. So as the part came in, a splash came out, and what do you know, found that one exposed spot on my skin between my glove and my uh, uh, like lab coat that I was wearing. So I wasn't properly protected. I didn't have the, the correct glove. Uh, you, we had these big, thick gloves that went all the way to the elbow. That would have been the correct protective uh, equipment to wear at that time. So depending on the danger we face uh, in a workplace or, or recreational activities, there's different kind of protective equipment we should use. And as I said, when it comes to false teaching, that protective gear we need to use is the word of God. Uh, goggles are not going to help me. Gloves won't help me against false teaching. I need uh, the truth of the word of God. Isaiah 8, uh, 19 and 20 uh, is a good example of the application of that. It says, uh, Isaiah says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So in Isaiah's day, uh, as I think is happening today, people were being suggested uh, supernatural activities to try to find out uh, perhaps the future, or uh, maybe to try to communicate with a deceased one, uh, mediums. Uh, those things, I believe, are becoming more popular. And uh, in Isaiah's day, um, Isaiah warned that these... Um, Perhaps, uh, I shouldn't say perhaps, that this teaching, the fact, the idea of going to mediums and to, uh, to wizards uh, to try to get access to, to supernatural truth uh, went against the law, right? You could turn to the word of God. What does the word of God say? Uh, don't do it, right? Uh, all these activities were forbidden by the law of God, and we were to compare the two. Uh, that's what he meant by say to the law and the testimony, right? If they do not speak according to this word, uh, there is no light in them. They're not telling the truth. When somebody brings you a teaching uh, and it sounds unfamiliar, uh, new, uh, you want to compare it with the word of God. What does the word of God? Today, uh, the, there's a lot of ideas out there um, that go against the word of God, not just coming out of the church, but uh, in the world, there's a lot of popular ideas uh, as to uh, what, what kind of sexuality a person can engage in, what gender. Um, there's a lot of things out there that uh, sound popular. I mean, they are popular. Uh, they sound nice. Uh, let people do whatever they want to do. Uh, but they go against the word of God, right? need to guard ourselves. Uh, we don't go out there militantly and stopping people from doing uh, what they want to do. People will sin, uh, but we need to be careful that we don't internalize these and apply them to our lives and think it's okay to carry on uh, with activities that God's word pro uh, prohibits.
Okay, uh, so that is, uh, we recognize the danger, false teaching, the safety gear is God's word. Uh, how do we know that, uh, that uh, safety gear is, is, is good and reliable for what it's claimed uh, to be? For example, um, my, my brother-in-law uh, gave my kids um, belts to wear, and we were using ropes that we were going rock climbing. How do we know uh, that these are good? They have to be uh, tested. Uh, next picture. Uh, when a, a car designer tries to come up with the right protection uh, for the drivers, they will often have a dummy uh, in this case, um, and they'll test the defenses of the car. Uh, is the car made in a solid enough manner that it doesn't explode when you hit something? Uh, is the uh, seatbelt strong enough to restrain you? Is the airbag, will it pop correctly and, and prevent the driver from the worst kind of injury? Uh, it has to be, to be tested. Uh, experiments have to be designed. Uh, the records, the results need to be uh, kept track of and they need to be reported faithfully. Uh, to the governing authorities, right? There's uh, governing authorities that seek to make sure that uh, people are only driving safe cars out there, and we appreciate those. Uh, but they rely on, on a faithful witness, right? Let's say I was making a car, and I found that, uh, boy, it's not that safe to drive, but I've already invested a uh, billion dollars into developing this car. Uh, I'll just uh, you know, brush those results under the table or under the carpet so nobody will know about it, uh, and I'll, I'll start selling the car, right? I won't tell anybody or I'll tell them lies. Uh, so we rely on witnesses when it comes to know the reliability of the safety gear, or safety of products that, that we purchase. Um, how do we know that God's word uh, is true? Well, we have eyewitness uh, testimony. That's what uh, Peter is saying. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, Peter was an eyewitness. He got to see Jesus living before him. Jesus came and he called Peter uh, and other disciples to follow him, and they followed him for three years. Uh, they followed him. They, they saw the way he lived. Uh, they heard the things that he taught. And um, they uh, heard him speak about his upcoming crucifixion and the reason why he would be crucified. They saw him uh, crucified. And uh, the, uh, they saw him buried. Uh, and, and they saw him risen again from the dead. So they had a gospel to preach which was based on eyewitness, right? And so it makes it, uh, it, it gives us reason to believe in what the Bible teaches. The Bible is a record of eyewitnesses. Uh, now, to be honest, I mentioned the possibility of a false eyewitness, right? If, if I have a billion dollars to make or a billion dollars I don't want to lose, uh, I would be sorely tempted uh, to be unfaithful in my testimony, right? I would have a, what do you call it, a, a motive, uh, incentive, personal 
personal incentive to be unfaithful. And so we're thankful that there's consequences um, to false testimony. If I, if I sell cars and they found to be faulty, I will have to recall those, right? And I'll have to pay to get those repaired to spec. Uh, I could be prosecuted, right? If I knowingly lied about the quality, the protection of my car, um, I could be sued uh, and I could go to jail. And, and maybe beyond that, right, if, if I wasn't faithful. And, and we draw comfort from that, knowing there's going to be consequences if somebody lies about something regarding our safety. Uh, what about uh, Peter? What about Peter? Uh, well, in Peter's case, uh, it was an even greater uh, commitment uh, to the truth. Uh, he was preaching a message that was unpopular and would lead to his death if he went on preaching it. And so Peter had every reason in the world not to preach the gospel. The only reason he had to continue preaching the gospel was knowing that this was true and that people needed this message in order uh, to be saved. He refers to his death here in verse 14, saying, knowing that I, that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Most people believe that Peter wrote this epistle uh, perhaps a year or two before his death. Um, Jesus told him uh, in John 21, hopefully this time I got it correctly, <laughs> verse 18 and 19, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out, stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Uh, Peter, Jesus was telling Peter here that he would die by crucifixion. That's what he meant. He would stretch out his hands and another will carry him where he do not wish to go. Um, traditions teach that uh, when Peter was crucified for preaching the gospel, he asked them to crucify him um, uh, downward with his head facing down, saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that the Lord Jesus was. Jesus, uh, Peter was that committed to the truth of his witness. He was willing to preach the gospel so you and I could be saved, even knowing that that would lead to his own death. And um, according to tradition, uh, all but one of Jesus's disciples or apostles uh, were martyred because of that witness. So the word of God is not just based on testimony, it was based on people who were willing to die for the truth that they were preaching. So the highest level of confidence. Now, uh, there's another test of, of God's word uh, in this passage. Uh, if we can show the uh, next uh, image. Uh, this perhaps is disturbing to you looking at this, but I have to look at this kind of data every day. This is basically my job. I have to look at data, and I need to, uh, to interpret it uh, now, one of these charts looks, you know, fairly easy to interpret, okay? Uh, the taller I am, the more I'm going to weigh, right? I mean, that's a very good, very strong correlation. Uh, 
the next one is a little bit uh, less obvious. It says the more I exercise, the less I will weigh. So there seems to be some correlation, but it's not a very strong correlation because there's other factors like how much I eat, what kind of food I eat, uh, right? How, how tall I am, right? A uh, tall person might exercise a lot, but he might still weigh more than a shorter person who's not exercising. So there's, there's other factors there. Um, people will say this about the Bible, right? They will say this about the disciples. Well, you know, they didn't really understand what Jesus was talking about. Like, yeah, we all agree Jesus was a great guy and all, but unfortunately his disciples were a little bit confused. Right, so they taught that Jesus was God, and that He died for our sins, rose from the dead. But you know, they they missed some important details, and so we can't really trust what the Bible says. It's an attack against the testimony of God. Um, did they understand? And uh, and so uh, Peter here is quoting a very clear. Again, it's an eyewitness experience. Uh, Please tell me if I'm misinterpreting the data, <laughs> right? Uh, and to uh, get a little bit more of the detail, we could read of the same account in Matthew uh, 17, 1 through 5. Uh, now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So I submit to you, there's not a lot to be confused about this data. Right? It's pretty clear. Uh, it presents Jesus as God. Uh, Nessia asked me uh, the other day, uh, you know, why does the Bible say that uh, I think this was God speaking to Moses. You know, a man shall not see me and live. Right? Moses wanted to see God in all his glory, and God says, uh, you can't. You can't see me and live. Well, then how is it that people could see Jesus? Well, Jesus veiled himself, right? He, he was God. He came in the flesh. He veiled his glory. It's true. We can't see with this flesh we cannot see God in his glory. When we're going to be brought into heaven, we're going to have a new body, right? The body that can handle the full glory of God. This body uh, cannot. Yet in this experience with uh, Peter, James, and John, as Jesus went up on the mountain, he laid aside the veil. I shouldn't say laid aside the veil. You know, he, he started opening them. And what was the result? His face shone like the sun. Right? And it says that uh, they were afraid, right? Uh, they, just that, that little glimpse of who Jesus was was enough to, to drive Peter and the other apostles to the ground. Jesus had to come and comfort them after this 
vision. And uh, Peter is speaking. It says in one of the other versions, not knowing what he said. Uh, this, is, this is wonderful. We now appreciate, you know, that you are great, Jesus. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, because Jesus was speaking uh, with them. And God said, look, you can't compare my son with Moses and Elijah, the great lawgiver, the great prophet of the Old Testament. Please don't put my son at the same level with them. Right? There was no confusion in the apostles' mind as to who Jesus was. It was very clear. And so we, we have that uh, test of God's word. Uh, God demonstrated very clearly the truth of who his son was and, and what his son uh, did. Okay, so we talked about um, the danger, false teaching, protective equipment, God's word, uh, the test, the assurity of the reliability of God's word, and, uh, and then uh, we want to think about application. Um, so I got this picture from uh, the internet, and, and we see the people riding their motorcycles uh, without a helmet. So that's, that's not safe. They're not using available protective equipment. Uh, my wife uh, mentioned to me uh, this week, she was uh, walking down the trail toward Coyote Hills, and she saw people riding their bikes uh, with a helmet, but the problem is the helmet was hanging on their backpack as they were riding their bike. I mean, you have it, it's available. Why aren't you using uh, your protection? And, and so, while we have God's word available for us today uh, for our protection, uh, we, we may fail to use it, right? Uh, we neglect God's word. Uh, it, is, it is widely available. Uh, I have an app on my phone. Uh, you can get it off the internet. Uh, you, can, you can purchase it. Uh, you could probably get free copies of it. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you want one, uh, we'll happily give you copy of God's word, uh, and, yet, uh, and yet people don't, don't read it. It says here, um, we have the prophetic word confirmed, uh, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Uh, this world is a dark place. It's full of false teachings. And again, it's not just the church. You know, there's, there are people who claim to be Christians and, and teach false teachings, but the world is full of it. You'll, you get bombarded uh, by the, the media, uh, TV, uh, social media. You know, you'll, you'll get all kinds of ideas thrown at you. How do you navigate through everything the world is throwing at you? The only, only safe way is to heed the word of God as a light that shines in a dark place. It says here, until uh, the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart, that will change when the Lord Jesus comes into this world. Right? When Jesus reigns um, uh, in Jerusalem over the world, uh, the world won't be filled of darkness, it'll be filled of light and God's truth. Right? Uh, but until that time, uh, we, we must look to God's word to navigate through everything that's being uh, thrown at us, uh, whether from the pulpit, uh, from friends or just from uh, the media. I asked, how do we get uh, the maximum benefit? So there's another picture that goes along with that. Uh, 
So we're thankful for protective equipment, but we must be sure to use it uh, in the correct manner. I always struggle with the straps when I get a new helmet. I mean, it takes me a while to adjust it so it sits right on my head. Uh, same is true uh, with the Word of God. Uh, Peter says, uh, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved uh, by the Holy Spirit. So it's popular to uh, take exception to certain teachings of the Bible. Right? So people like or are fine with some things that the Bible teach. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds great. Very few people uh, will argue with that. Uh, but uh, certain things that the Bible teach, when it tries to uh, tell me that uh, the, the uh, sexual relationship belongs between a husband and a wife and not anywhere else, uh, I, I might take exception to that and say, well, you know, that's, that's some old idea that some of these prophets have that's dated. Uh, well, Peter says, uh, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. It wasn't a man idea. It wasn't uh, Moses or Elijah or Paul who uh, you know, thought, I don't think this is right, and so I'm going to include it in the Bible. Don't do that. No, it all came from God. And uh, the correct way to use the Bible is to accept it as the word of God. Not to pick and choose and say, this is, applies, but that doesn't apply to me. We have to take it all if we want to use it uh, as God intended for us to use it for our protection. Okay. Um, I hope this uh, study was full of application, but um, maybe as a final thought, um, we often use the phrase, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And uh, that means that we don't think that much of, of things that we're used to. And uh, the Bible is uh, familiar. Right? It's the most familiar book in the world. Right? You're not going to find any other book that's been translated to as many languages, uh, distributed uh, to as many uh, people, sits on as many shelves. I think uh, most, most households you'll go to will probably have a Bible in there. Uh, whether it's being read is a different question, but the Bible will, will probably be in just about any book that any house that you go to. And yet, uh, because it's so familiar, uh, people, people often uh, ignore it. Uh, one of the groups that uh, did the most to distributing the Bible is uh, the Gideons International. Uh, they started about 100 years ago. Uh, they were uh, salespeople, and they felt that God was calling them to distribute the Bible. So when they would go to a, a hotel, they would ask, can we leave some Bibles here for your customers? And eventually they were able to get in so they could put a Bible in every room. Most hotel rooms I've gone to uh, have a Bible in them. They distribute them to schools. Uh, they, they want to make it as widely available as possible. 
And somebody there came up with this uh, introduction. If you have a Gideon's Bible, you open to the first page, it will have an introduction of the Bible to help a person appreciate just what it is that they had in their hand. So I thought in closing, maybe I could go ahead and read that. So this is what is found uh, in the introduction of a Gideon's Bible. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's word, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, the design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That's it introduction to the Gideon Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Gideon Bible and you'd like these words, I'll be happy to share them with you later. Father, we thank you for your goodness uh, to us. We thank you for your love. We are your precious children, and you desire us to be safe. We recognize the danger of false teaching prevalent uh, today, whether from a pulpit or uh, on uh, media or even from friends. We pray for uh, wisdom for us when we tackle it. We ask that you help us uh, stay close to your word, seek to know it, to understand it, and to retain it. Uh, we thank you for Peter and others who made it their life's aim to uh, make sure that people were well, well acquainted with the truth of your word. We pray that we could similarly be not just those who enjoy the benefit, it, inter- benefit of it internally, but also willing to share it with others for their uh, protection. We ask for your blessing on us as we depart now and for a week lived uh, in the shadow of your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.